The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive with Dr. Rebecca Risk. Do you ever feel that even though nothing seems seriously wrong and you pass all the medical tests, that you still feel that your health, pain, and fatigue are completely out of control? It doesn't have to be that way. Listen to the tips and suggestions given on our program today and take back control of your health. Now, here is Dr. Rebecca Risk. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. And today we're speaking with Elaine Pereira, who is the author of the book, I Will Never Forget, A Daughter's Story of Her Mother's Arduous and Humorous Journey Through Dementia. Welcome to the show, Elaine. Thank you so much for having me today. Um, What brought you to write a book about your mom's journey? As she was declining from Alzheimer's, I felt strongly that This was not how I wanted to remember her. She was an accomplished, vibrant, kind, successful woman, and those are the memories that I wanted to take with me. But her journey really isn't unlike other people's either. So the book was written in tribute not just to her, but to everyone who's gone through or going through this arduous journey. Well, you know, I I think it is a very difficult. Um, you know, my um, my grandmother had dementia as well, and mm-hmm. it was very difficult on the family to yes. to watch that happen to her. Um, I think it's a burden most people don't expect to have. I mean, we don't really think about our parents that way until. I'm not sure if it was the same for you, but you're kind of thrown in the middle of it, and suddenly you realize what what's happening. You're quite right. And actually, um, although I'm, I'm an occupational therapist and I have a background in, in neurology, it's more my strength, I saw my mother through the lens of a daughter and missed all of the cues and clues that should have been so obvious to, to me that things were amiss and that it wasn't just being goofy or under stress. Um, it was real neurological decline. As you read in the book, when I finally saw the pr- proverbial forest, then I, I handled things much better. But it did take a while. Well, um, you know, I, I think that that's probably normal. I mean, you're no matter how old you are, you're still her daughter and looking at her that way. And can you tell me what your relationship her with her was like? Other than my um, lengthy enough period with the sassy, rebellious teenage years, my mother and I were very close. She was a strong woman. Um, She was very kind, intelligent. We did things together as either the two of us or uh, as a family, my brother and my dad. Um, Really, she was a great mom, not unlike 
all great moms, except that she was mine. So we were we were good, very definitely. So what was growing up with her like? Is there something that stands out to you that that can show us, you know, how strong that sure. she was? Or yeah. you know, she just um, you know she grew up in the Great Depression, and people sort of your audience may have only mixed understanding of that depending on the age of the individual, but people literally lost everything and literally bartered skills that they had. Like my grandfather was a plumber, so he bartered with the uh, butcher for food to fix plumbing, and, and that's it. there was no money. So that's how my mother grew up, and she was a saver and um, reused things. However, the flip side is, despite this very austere upbringing of her generation, she made Christmas and holidays just magical. She was um, generous without being irresponsible, and I had a sense of knowing that what she had growing up was, and what my dad had was very different than what I was experiencing, and I was very aware. Um, you know, we went, we picked strawberries routinely every year. Uh, we did blueberries once. They're kind of a mess. Um, so <laughs> she, you know, my brother was sort of a, um, kind of the easy guy to raise, but super intelligent and not the best with social cues. I remember her guiding him to understand, you know, what was really going on that somebody was trying to communicate because he kind of missed the, the those uh, subtleties. So she just... Um, she helped with homework, and um, she laid sod, and she painted, and she also looked lovely when she and my dad went out. So she kind of was everything, I think. <laughs> well, I, I hope that's the, the way you see her as her daughter, that she gave you everything that you needed. Definitely, yes. She was a strong woman, um, religious without being... Um, I don't know what word I really want. She felt that you also created a life of success or or challenge based on how you handled situations, not just a blind, um, I can do anything I want, I can be anything I want, quote, God will provide. You, she had a strong feeling of... Um, you also have to be responsible. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was uh, like I said, I was definitely <laughs> the one that, that pushed the boundaries during the teenage years, not unlike a lot of girls, I guess, but, uh, but she, you know, she saw past that and we, were, we did well. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> good. Um, so in your, in your book, you, you talk about her having some health problems in her 40s. She had Menier's disease. Can you tell us how that affected her? My mother um, had Menier's disease, yes, and she lost uh, her hearing completely as an uh, eventual outcome. She also had a long spell of vertigo, which was very difficult because it, if you've experienced it or you're familiar with the disease... It is very insidious. It comes unexpectedly. There were no triggers that um, we were aware of. And 
all of a sudden she's, she said to me one time that as she was about to get a chance to rest after one of these long spells that she literally didn't know which way the floor or the ceiling was that she felt her body was spinning even though she wasn't moving at all. So it was a pretty tough, um, it's a tough disease and it's not so common that there's a lot of understanding. Uh, there's no one else that I ever met in her realm that, that had it. Um, there, it's believed that the characteristics uh, as far as cause are being female and a little bit high strung which is her, and then possibly also um, some head injury involvement. And we think during the car accident that um, killed my little brother before I was born, it's very possible before seatbelts and airbags that she may have hit the dashboard also. She lost a tooth and such. It's possible Mm -hmm. that that was a contributing factor also. But the point is at some where along the line, she was gave up her teaching position. Um, she'd had many good years, but it did did become a catalyst to leaving that early. And hearing loss of the depth that she had is very isolating socially because you can't you can't hear, and hearing aids don't help. She eventually did get a cochlear implant, and that did help. But um, it's still not the same as being a, in the hearing world where you can distinguish the direction of sound or the pitch. Well, and, and this um, caused some issues later when her uh, um, she was declining with dementia because she would lose, um, you know, the piece that helped the implant work. Right. And you, you know... Um, so I, it seems like that added a lot to the stress of what was happening at the time. Because if she can't remember where it is and she can't hear, I think exactly. probably made it a little more exactly. difficult. Yes, she misplaced her her $8,000 device a couple times. And then finally, um, we put a hook and a tie string so that the device itself, you, you had to be, had to, there were more steps involved in losing it. Mm-hmm. And um, that at least helped that she didn't lose it. And when she was no longer wearing it because it just didn't help her orient anymore towards the end, then um, at least I had it or it was available, it wasn't lost. But yeah, yeah. it compounded it's it's hard to it's hard to have a full circle conversation about where this device might be with someone who can't remember and can't hear you anyway and not process if i were to have written it out as a note like where is the cochlear implant mom she could read the words but she couldn't process those words as a question to help her work with you on trying to find something it was a definitely this cornucopia of catastrophes. Yeah, more than one thing um, causing issues there, which yeah, probably made it more difficult. Yeah, definitely. 
So um, you had uh, two daughters yourself. What was your mom like as a grandma? She was she's she was a granddaughter's or grandchild's dream. I mean, she sat on the floor and played with them. She um, took them for maybe four or five days at a time. We lived two hours apart, so when the girls were little, uh, she would take them for uh, f- several days, and um, you know, I got a break, um, got to do some you know adult things or girlfriend things or whatever. And she um, she made them clothes. She made doll clothes for their dolls. When they all got a little, when the girls got a little older, uh, she had mastered um, cross stitch, but she had taken it up several levels of skill into um, crafts, handcrafts like hard anger, black work, pulled ribbon, things like this, way above what I can do. But she taught my girls how to cross-stitch, and they, in turn, got me started. So there were a lot of loops that were reinforced. So she was a, she was a very good grandmother. Um, she did not uh, embellish them with lots of um, financial or um, commercial gifts. You know, she didn't buy them a car when they graduated from high school. She had a strong feeling of people earned their way. and But, yeah, she was a great uh, teacher. My mother had a bachelor's degree in chemistry, and both of my girls are strong in sciences. And, matter of fact, I'm not sure now that I think about it, I think my mother was strong in everything. She was strong in math. <laughs> so she just, she was great in English. You know, she, she really had this. Full command of of every of every depth except maybe multiple being bilingual probably is the only <laughs> piece I think she missed, and um, she was just charming to be with. They worked, um, they made uh, cookies together and pecan rolls, which is a raised bread, and all popcorn balls, and peanut brittle, and all kinds of things that my girls remember um, having shared with. My mom, in particular, uh, sometimes I, I wasn't even there. So, uh, yeah, they had tea parties, and it, it, she was great. <laughs> well, it sounds like the, you know, the kind of grandma that you'd want that would do things with you and have fun with you. I mean, yeah, I don't think you, I don't think you need much more than that, right? No, you don't need. She, she was, she was, you know, like a, she, like I said earlier, she was a great mom. Not unlike all great moms, except that she was mine. And she was a great grandmother, like all grandmothers perceive, and probably most are, who uh, just enjoy their kids and grandkids and do fun things. And that, <laughs> you know, that kind of summarizes, speaks volumes in a quiet yeah. way. I think so. So um, we are going to take a quick break. We're speaking today with Elaine Pereira. She's the author of the book, I Will Never Forget, A Daughter's Story of Her Mother's Arduous and Humorous Journey Through Dementia. This book is available on Amazon um, if you're interested in picking it up. And anybody who um, has gone through this journey will find this book um, helpful if it's just not to know, to know that you're not alone in this journey. Uh, so we're going to be back shortly after this break.
your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Ouch! What do you think of when you think of dental procedures? Well, when you think about it, the teeth and the rest of the body are strongly connected. What happens in one part affects the other. In the Tooth Body Connection with host Dr. Don Ewing, we'll explain more about these concepts as well as discuss the role that your teeth play in your overall health. You'll learn about amalgams and how removing them the wrong way can be toxic to your body. Tune in Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. We are bombarded with information daily about happy life strategies, beauty products, and business success ideas. Are they truly going to make a change or just take the change out of your pocket? Tune in to Shelly's Show and Tell with host Shelly Hancock. Shelly will explore and recommend proven business ideas as well as show you how to use the law of attraction to create health, happiness, and a prosperous business. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Falling Through the Cracks. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. And today we're speaking with Elaine Pereira, who is the author of the book, I Will Never Forget, a daughter's story of her mother's arduous and humorous journey through dementia. So, Elaine, can you tell me a little bit about your dad and their relationship together? Oh, yeah. My dad was the, was very, was relatively quiet. Um, My mom, my brother especially, and I were the chatterboxes, so I, I think sometimes he just couldn't get an ed- word in edgewise. He was, he was a very um, soft-spoken, very um, kind man. We, he and I didn't really connect so well. It wasn't bad. It was just sort of superficial because... I was so animated and out there and that kind of thing until after, you know, I matured, you know, when I had kids of my own. He adored my mom and vice versa. He was very patient. He very good to her, to us. He had an incredibly great ability at financial planning and understanding and under, kind of getting a feel for the stock market somewhat, I guess. Um, you know, I was a little young to pick up on everything, but he did very, very well in managing the money, which paid off decades later when my dad was gone and I was inherited my mother's um, estate. I don't mean directly, but just the responsibility for continuing to manage it and make sure that there was enough resources for her, I 
came to sort of see the flow of the years because he kept everything that was relevant. How what a great job he had done, and it had, it really did pay off in terms of giving my mother a little bit better, giving me more financial options in her behalf when it came time for me to take over and make sure she was taken care of uh, uh, very well. Um, my dad was not the sit-on-the-floor, play-with-kids. He loved them, but he didn't, he didn't have the best of his own experience as a child, and he was a little unsure, I think, of what to do. So he sort of just sat back and watched as life went on. Um, and a lot of the connections really were with my mom and I, more so than my dad and I, until uh, I was older. But he was, he was a good man, definitely. Good provider. Well, near the end of his life, he'd had some health problems. Can you mm-hmm. um, tell us how this affected your mom? Um, my dad had a stroke, a moderate stroke, in 1995, thus launching my mother into her role of his uh, selfless caregiver for the next nine years. And she did a very good job about not enabling my dad to become a wheelchair or wheelchair bound until the very, very end. She got him the therapy that he needed early on. She followed through with um, the, the home exercises. My dad's personality was changed from the stroke, and it happens. It's a neurological event, and unfortunately, besides all the physical problems, there was a personality change, too. So at times, he was very impulsive and impatient and rude, and these would not, this was not who he was prior to this event. So it really took a toll on my mom, although she did an outstanding job, about buffering so that if she didn't respond to his rants with her own set, then he calmed down faster. And she did a very good job about handling him and keeping him encouraged to be mobile as long as possible. He referred to her affectionately, though, as his task master. So <laughs> she, uh, you know, he kept some of his sense of humor, but... Um, it was a it was a very difficult time. She tried to keep him as active as possible. He didn't drive anymore, so she made trips with him for a while. But they took a huge toll on both of them. My dad was about I think five seven, which isn't that tall. But my mom wasn't five feet, so the her she was a pixie. And for her to be responsible for managing or walking with someone whose balance was poor, you know, didn't bode well for her. But it wasn't until the very end that he passed away in 2004. And by Christmas of three, I was pretty sure that one or the other of them wasn't going to make it through 2004 because my mother was approaching the point of exhaustion and my dad was becoming more incontinent 
which meant that my mom probably would have had to place him in the nursing wing. And I just don't know. After all those years, I don't know if she could have done it. She, she said that she needed to, but I don't know if she could have. And yeah. so um, the complications of the stroke finally took him in 2004. You know, I know with with my grandmother, it was actually a similar situation. My grandfather had been ill. He had angina. And um, mm-hmm. after he passed away, it became more evident that she had memory problems. I yeah. think they had worked together that she had looked after him, and he also helped her remember things. So nobody knew, or it wasn't as obvious until afterwards right. when she was on her own. Was that a, a similar situation for you? Very similar. I I can't say for sure that my dad helped her remember, although it's possible, only in that he was also declining all across the neurological front in that last year. Um, She, he died in 2004, and she just sort of evaporated um, as far as being in the present for several weeks. She was there, but not there. So I made all the funeral arrangements. And I remember she was just collapsed on the bed after he passed away a couple of days before I got over there to, to meet with the funeral home people and help her make decisions. Only she just let me make them. And I, I just remember thinking, this is not my mom. She does not, she just doesn't give me these kinds of huge assignments. And it, and take her hands away from whatever she felt my dad, her husband, would have wanted. But the funeral home person said to me that this actually is not uncommon. So that as long as the relationship between her and I was good, then she trusted me, if you will. That was sort of his point. However, it, was, it turned out that my interpretation of her grief her um, total exhaustive fatigue played with my head and let me think that the goofy things and the odd things that she did between then and that next year or more were due to this, this cumulative stress release, her own age factors, when in fact they really were dementia right in front of me and Alzheimer's yet to be diagnosed. And the best example is that in February of 2005, she traveled to Sedona to see my nephew, I'm sorry, her nephew, my cousin, who owned a home there and had always wanted my mom to come out during the winter. So now my dad is gone, and my brother also passed away that year, so we had kind of an impromptu uh, little family service for my brother out in Sedona. But my my mom and, and my husband and I flew separately. So when I got to my cousin's house, the very first thing he said to me was, he was worried about Aunt Betty because she had been wandering through his home looking for her own apartment and had her bag repacked after unpacking it and clearly very disoriented and confused. At the time, I chalked it up to stress. She had, my dad died in April of 04. My 
for some. My brother died in December of '04. Things, you know, had been very, very rough uh, for her. But as I say in presentations when I talk to families, it doesn't. I understand now that it it doesn't really matter how deep your stress or personal crises are, you still don't look at a completely unfamiliar environment and think that your own home should be inside someone else's. And I kind of missed that. It was um, me jumping in to protect my mother at all costs. And if my cousin said something that made me feel that she was being a little bit threatened, then I dismissed it. Not the best plan at all. But I share that story because I want families to understand that even with my background and sort of should have known better, that when you wear that hat of a daughter or son or friend or whatever your relationship is, you see them as who they are with some hiccups rather than seeing the hiccups. Well, I, that must be normal, especially as being her daughter, that you don't you don't want that to happen to your mom, and uh, you don't want to see it as well, which a lot of people are, I think we're all very good at doing in yes. certain situations, you know, I, yes, I don't absolutely. want that to be there, so I'm not going to look at it that way, and somebody on the outside can see it easier than you can, because you're so, you're, you're emotionally involved with her, right. your mom, Definitely. right? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So... At what point did you actually accept that there was something happening? Um, well, I, I happily lived in denial, like you said, for for a few years. There were more incidents like this, but they were always in isolation. So there'd be, um, she had that experience in Sedona in February of 05, but by, I remember in May of 05, I came to help meet her financial planner and review all of her estate and assets. And she was so sharp and articulate that it's that phase that throws you off. You think of events like in Sedona and other things that happened, like, you know, she accused people of sneaking into her third floor locked apartment and stealing things periodically. Those incidents were less frequent to me than was her showing up fully bloomed and explaining the difference between before tax deferred and IRAs and all these things that she had a huge command over and was teaching me that I was unfamiliar with. And so that was my mom. That's what I saw. But gradually, again, there's this two-hour difference. The staff that worked in the apartment. Uh, she was in a completely independent senior center. There were memory care wings, but she was living independently. But periodically between 05 and 07, 08, I would get phone calls about goofy things that she had done. Um, she had left the facility and walked through a quadmire of construction equipment to get to the local pharmacy because she wanted a Snickers bar or something when, in fact, there were offers of rides and people offered to take her down there so she didn't have to walk and put herself in 
lots of unsafe situations. Then the accusations that people were stealing things. She was more hostile. Behaviors that we never would have described in her as she was a very kind and patient person. She was never hostile and agitated. Unfortunately, for some time, I was getting these reports from people that I didn't really know describing behaviors to me that I didn't really see, and I was having a hard time sorting out where the truth was um, until this huge explosion. And that is what brought my epiphany moment, because after she had had her apartment repainted at her request, and I didn't go well, but I didn't know how badly it was going until I showed up to see the new um, unit repainted, and then she just turned like a sinister snake in a behavior I had not witnessed until that day. I'd heard about it, but I never saw it. And she started to accuse the uh, staff of stealing her Travers draperies that had been in the apartment. But she never had Travers draperies in the apartment. And it suddenly hit me. She had Travers drapes in the house that I grew up in, the house that she had vacated roughly six years previously. And that house had Travers drapes everywhere and she had made many of them and all of a sudden that classic epiphany and I realized how far she has drifted back in time I had missed it all and then everything made sense I understood what the neurology of Alzheimer's and dementia was because that's I've had that education then I put I put things together very quickly and realized that she was much more impaired and had advanced in her dementia more than I had been willing to or able to see. And then, then it all made sense. So um, she was living in independent living when you realized this. And right. I, you know, obviously that's not somewhere she could stay. Exactly. So, yeah, so um, uh, when you moved her, how did that go for her? Um, it, I was, by that time, um, I had been encouraged to look at memory care places in her community. And I actually did visit the one that's inside the facility that I had referenced. But on that day, when all the clouds parted and I finally saw the proverbial light, Driving home, I felt that I wanted to have her closer to me. That two-hour drive is pretty tough. So I had talked to the staff, um, a specific person who was the director, and she pointed out that any move was going to be disruptive. It didn't matter whether I moved her across the state or across um, the hallway, although it wouldn't have been that simple, that it was it's going, it was going to be hard, and she was going to decline, and her negative behaviors were going to come out more, and that's exactly what happened. Um, we got her mo- I got her moved. I, I did some shopping on my end, picked uh, an assisted living facility that had a memory care wing. Um, 
it was a very, very wicked move. She was very angry. She threatened to um, call Friendship Village was the place that she had been and have them come pick her up. Um, but my mother didn't really know <laughs> didn't really know how to handle the phone that well because of her cochlear device. And most of the time, I handled her rantings and ravings pretty well by just reassuring her that I loved her and that I was doing what she had entrusted me to do um, rather than come back with, you know, smart remarks that were not going to go over well. Um, that, that move, that was ugly. And, I, and I'll share with anyone who's contemplating it or going, going through it, been through it, might go through it, you just have to take a deep breath and know that you've made a good decision for the safety of your, and most likely it's a parent, but it could be a spouse or a friend or an aunt, and that it won't go well, and they're probably going to yell at you a lot and scream, but you have made a decision that's in their best interest out of love and care, and just let those nasty words fall on the ground and know that they're not as personal as they feel. Well, I think that's an uh, important thing to note is it's not personal. And just like with your father, it was part of, it's part of her disease. And for him, it yes. was part of his stroke. So it's important right. to remember right. it's, it's not from them. It's from their disease. Right. Um, it's not. We, and it did yeah. settle down. It often does. Um, yeah. Um, we're going to take a quick break. Um, today we're speaking with Elaine Pereira. She's the author of the book, I Will Never Forget, A Daughter's Story of Her Mother's Arduous and Humorous Journey Through Dementia. Uh, so if you have any questions about this show, we are recording live. You can call in or send an email at anantacalgary at gmail.com. We'd be happy to hear your comments. We'll be back shortly. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Hi, I'm John Rainey, Chief Financial Officer of United Airlines, and I'm honored to be the National Chair for the 2015 March for Babies campaign for the March of Dimes. United is a proud supporter of the March of Dimes mission to improve the health of babies and fight premature birth. We're helping the March of Dimes fund breakthroughs in research and community programs that help more mothers have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Please join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. Visit marchofdimes.org. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. The show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
You are listening to Falling Through the Cracks with your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email directly to Dr. Risk. The email address is anantacalgary at gmail.com. Now, back to Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca Risk. And today we're speaking with Elaine Pereira, who's the author of the book, I Will Never Forget, A Daughter's Story of Her Mother's Arduous and Humorous Journey Through Dementia. So, Elaine, one thing I I think is really important to talk about is, um, you know, being a caregiver. I've actually been on both sides of caregiving, having helped my um my mother-in-law passed away from cancer after being sick for a year and a half. Mm, and then wow. after that, I was sick for, for a few years and uh, my ex-husband had to look after me. And so I've been on both sides and I know they're actually both very difficult for, for both sides. You know, as a caregiver, you're selflessly doing everything that needs to be done for this person. And as the person that's sick you can't help and you feel guilty. But I think it's important to just talk about how all of this affected you. Um, you know, your mom probably wasn't even aware of a lot of what you were doing behind the scenes for her. And as her daughter, I can imagine this was extremely difficult for you. Um, yes and no. Um, I, I wanted to take a second to say that those of us who are strong and independent, which is a lot of people, we are not the best accepting care even when we need it and last year I had my own up and down things and um, yeah, yeah not the best patient but <laughs> but I'm grateful for for the help my husband gave me so but moving doing the flip side um, my mother had made it very clear that she did not want to live with her kids and to, if if she needed long-term care and I honored that wish she would have been welcome here in my home but she she still would have needed 24-hour care at at, or supervision at the very least um so i did pick a a center that was close to me she um declined very quickly so as from the viewpoint of a daughter slash caregiver it, it was difficult to see her go so quickly she lived at the facility for not just barely a year. She went in walking, articulate, disorganized, and poor judgment and poor memory, but she had balance and she had self-care skills and she knew what to do and, and that sort of thing. And at the end, she was um, virtually bedridden. And that happened very fast. Yes, it's hard to see someone that you love decline before your eyes. However, I think while you're doing it, you're quietly grateful to be able to be there for them. And you do whatever you have to do until that process is complete. And then I think you fall apart. One of my advice to caregivers is my journey with my mother was relatively short term. She was not in my home, and she did not um, exist on a prolonged, multiple-year basis of lots of lots of care. 
but there are many situations that are different, and they require it's you know five years, two years. It's a long time. My advice to caregivers is, by nature, we do not take care of ourselves first, and we need to do a better job about recognizing our limitations, delegating, um, making sure that we get breaks and that we aren't unwilling to accept help from others. I know that um, my mom didn't was not good about accepting help even from me for her husband, my dad, and it took its toll. I was a therapist. I mean, I can, I can do this, Mom, as she's going to pick up the wheelchair to put it in the trunk. I'm taller, not by much, but those extra three or four inches make a huge difference when you're picking up a heavy piece of equipment and leveraging it into a trunk, trunk of a car for him. So I see, I have experienced, I get that caregivers have this um, philosophy or mindset that whatever they're providing is the best package for, their, for that person. And I want you to hear that that is probably true, but when you, you need to get someone else to spell you, you need to do it regularly, and you have to accept that that person that you're caring for might not get the same type of care, but it will still be good. They may not load the dishwasher the way you do, for example, but it got loaded. That's my point, is that the person that you're hiring has provided a safety net and a bath or whatever it is. It just may be that that the clothes they picked out for your loved one to wear wouldn't have been what you would have picked that day and accept that it's about safety and rest for yourself. And this is very difficult to do um, in the role of a caregiver. Well, you know, I, I, I think it, it, I agree with you. It is difficult to do because we put this burden on ourselves that everything has to be perfect and everything has to get That's done. Right. And, you know, one thing I learned in, in my own health journey was sometimes it's okay that you didn't do the dishes right away. Yep. You know, exactly. it's okay to you focus on the important things you prioritize. And, you know, if you don't mop the floor that day, the world will not end. That's right. Yeah. And... Like I said before, if you're, just as an example, um, if, if someone else is helping out by doing laundry or cleaning or taking care directly of the person that you've been taking care of, and it looks different, different isn't worse than, it's just different. And we have to allow that to be, to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good advice. Yeah, or we'll collapse. Yeah, and then we're no yeah. good. You know, well, exactly, because we're the caregiver. You that's know, when right. you are the caregiver, um, you have to take care of yourself, or there's no one that's to take right. care of anyone. Right. That's right. You have yeah. to be willing to say no. You have to know your limitations, um, and it's hard to do. But and, and like I said, you know, my mother was not very good about relinquishing the care of my dad to anybody else. Um, and I don't want to dwell on that. I'm simply saying that I've seen it, and I understand how this can happen so quickly. And you, you, 
you have to take a step back and look at your own being in health before yeah. you end up in the hospital. So at one point, um, you sat down with a doctor who said that she thought your mom had dementia and not Alzheimer's. Can you explain what the difference is? Sure. Dementia is a cluster of symptoms that might include memory loss, poor judgment, confusion, um, changes in personality, almost always negative, and there are many more. But there are many, many reasons that someone might exhibit dementia that are not Alzheimer's. And let me pick just a couple. For example, severe dehydration is confu- will create confusion. You will not be acting yourself. But you're not experiencing Alzheimer's. It's, a, it's another medical condition going on. Alcoholism, a stroke. My father experienced dementia, different from Alzheimer's, but it was still dementia. He was still confused and he still had especially poor judgment and changes in personality. Um, Diabetic crises, there are other types of neurological conditions, such as a stroke, that uh, create the profile of dementia too. A medication imbalance um, can put your electrolytes all out of whack. And that may be one of the symptoms. So in brief, I just want to say that especially if someone presents with a dementia profile that's relatively relatively sudden rather than a slow change, there might be something else going on medically and definitely investigate it. Alzheimer's, on the other hand, is a real neurological disease in which the brain is slowly dying. And it's difficult still to diagnose, even the best CAT scans and PET scans and MRIs don't always pick it up unless or it's not conclusive. Um, It can be in some cases. My mother could not have a diagnostic MRI because she had a cochlear implant and just below the scalp is metal, so she can't have um, MRI. But by the time we might have considered doing it to rule in or out of Alzheimer's, um, it it was, I don't know, maybe eight months before she passed away or less. Um, At the time, I agreed with the physician that my mother's profile was very a very fast decline, which tends to be not quite so much what an Alzheimer's individual tends to follow. But in retrospect, she and the physician, I agreed on this also, that she really was, um, she really did have Alzheimer's, not just some undiagnosed dementia. She, She fit the profile perfectly, just much faster. And it's possible that her otherwise good health and positive personality and et cetera kind of stalled the progression. I don't know. I'm just sort of offering some possibilities. So when it finally did make the difference between her being functional and dysfunctional, it went pretty quickly. 
So um, for anybody listening who um, might be in a similar situation, is there any advice that you, or last words that you have for them? Um, well, first, I would, I would love that people, it, it certainly did make a financial investment in buying the book because I do <laughs> donate to Alzheimer's research from each book I sell. Um, but to the group as a whole, this dementia and Alzheimer's are still very much, we have unknowns. We have so much further that we need to go to gather information. If you're in this situation and do the best you can to get a medical workup and get into support groups or gather additional information so that you, if you're the caregiver or if you're the family member, can communicate or maintain contacts with less stress. And just briefly, I'll say, for example, it's not uncommon that you'll hear that individual with dementia or Alzheimer's who uses the wrong words, drifts back in time, or says something silly or goofy or just flat out wrong. It's not on us to correct that. We simply want to go with the flow. So if they're adamant that it's September 9th, then what difference does it make that it's September 9th? Um, Because probably an hour later or the next day, that will not be a relevant fact. So I know it's hard, but it's about validating and going along in order to keep things, um, in order to prevent things from getting hostile or argumentative, and it serves no purpose anyway because they're not going to remember, probably, Um, and to bring your A-game when you see that family member or that person. Um, Don't ask them who you are. Tell them, hi, Aunt Rose, this is your niece, Carol, for example, uh, so that they don't have to work so hard at remembering who your face is. Yeah. Um, is If anybody is wanting to get a hold of you, if they have any questions, do you have a website address? I have a website, yes. Um, it's IWillNeverForgetBook.com. But my email address, and I, would, I welcome questions or anything, is Elaine P. P. S. in Pereira at IWillNeverForgetBook.com. That's great. Elaine, thank you so much for um, sharing with me today. It was interesting, the overlaps with, with my own life yes. as well, with my grandmother, and and um, the stories were actually very similar. So, um, you know, you. I appreciate, yeah, that you shared this today. I don't, it's, it's often hard to talk about this, too, but I think it's important. So thank you yeah. so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm trying to expand Alzheimer's awareness, and I appreciate every opportunity. Yeah, this was uh, um, a great show. Um, we're uh, we're going to finish up today. I want to thank, we're talking today with Elaine Pereira. She's the author of the book, I Will Never Forget, A Daughter's um, 
story of her mother's arduous and humorous journey through dementia. This book is available on Amazon, so if you want to pick it up, I recommend you do that. And just like Elaine said, she does donate a portion of the books to Alzheimer's Research, so another reason to to pick it up. Um, Thanks so much for joining me today. And uh, thank everybody just yeah, thank you. And um, everybody make today a great day. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Falling Through the Cracks. Feel alive and thrive. Please join Dr. Rebecca Risk again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk more next week. 